neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. I went a little off book this morning. Michael told me whenever we started putting this whole series together, we're going to talk about parables. And as I was looking through trying to find what I was going to talk about, I, uh, I've settled on this passage to talk about prayer. And it's not a typical parable passage, but there are two stories in there that Jesus used to talk about prayer. So I think technically I'm okay. I just hope it doesn't come up in my performance review. Josh doesn't follow directions well. So, how many hours does it take to master something? 10,000 hours. We talked about this last week. If you want to get better at something, if you want to learn something new, if you want to do something different than you've always done, it takes somewhere around 10,000 hours to become not just proficient, but to master it, to become good at it. And we talked about people like Bill Gates, and, and there was a guy, Bill Joy, who, who got, was in... Um, both in computers, there was the Beatles spent 10,000 hours perfecting their craft before they ever hit the U.S. and really became really famous, uh, getting to where they need to be. And so there's this, there's this sense in which in order to get good and become who you, you want to be, it's going to take work, it's going to take dedication to get to where we want to be in life. Talent, not ability, plus the opportunity and hard work equals what? Success. It equals mastering what we want before us, getting out there and getting, getting what we want and going after what we want and getting what we want. Now, don't answer this out loud, but as we talk about prayer, is there any reason that anybody in this room should not have already passed the 10,000-hour mark when it, with regards to prayer? I don't see any young kids in here, so I think we're good, right? Of all the spiritual disciplines, isn't prayer the easiest thing for us to just do? To just do. Isn't prayer one of the easiest things that we can do? And I think the question we have to answer, the thing we have to struggle with, is if we're not at a point, and I don't think we can ever master prayr. Maybe I need to step back a little bit and say, I don't think we can ever get to a point where we master prayer. But I think there's a, a point where we can reach where we will become so comfortable in having conversations with God that it is natural to us to turn to God and talk to God at all points and times in our lives. Not just when we need something. We're going to talk about that this morning when we generally seek God and, and when we don't seek God. But it should become prayer become such a natural part that we should be doing it so much that it should be natural for us just to pause and to pray. Many, many years ago, 20 some odd years ago, I was visiting a, a lady who, and I was looking for a job. I was struggling with some job stuff. And this an awesome lady at Central Pike, those of you all from there, Judy Nix, was a really wonderful lady. And she worked at Lipscomb. And I was talking to her, trying to get some direction on where I was going to go and what I was going to do in life and ministry and those type of things. And we were talking. And, and before we kind of walked away from it, she said, hey, let's pray about it. And that was kind of her, if you knew her, and I know most of you don't, but if you knew this lady, and we probably all know people like this in our life, if you, you know some people, they're so comfortable with prayer that it's just what they do. If you want to talk about something important, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to get into a really deep conversation, but the, the conversation at some point is either going to start with prayer, it's going to be, prayer is going to be in the middle, prayer is, going to, prayer is going to be at the end. And so I think we kind of have to struggle this morning with why, or maybe I need to struggle, I'm not putting it off on you, right? I need to wrestle with it, and I need to re- 
struggle with why maybe I'm not at that point in my own life. Maybe, maybe we're confused about prayer a little bit. And maybe confused not the right word. Maybe, maybe we've been taught wrong about prayer. Or maybe we don't have enough knowledge about prayer to get us where we need to go. Or maybe we think there's this, this mythical threshold that we have to cross in order for prayer to mean something or in order for prayer to make sense to us. There's this movie from the 80s that Robert Duvall was in called The Apostle. And if you ever have you know, a couple hours just to spend, it's a really neat movie. He's this evangelist, fire and brimstone guy, and it's a really poignant look at, at what that looks like in, in society in the 80s. And it would be even different now, but in society in the 80s, there's this scene where he is, he's upstairs in his mom's house and he's, he's, he's praying. And what he's doing is he's yelling at the top of his lungs. And there's, there's this scene where he's, he's saying, God, talk to me. He said, I'm Sonny. I've always done what you want to do. I've always been who you asked me to be. I've always been, and you've always talked to me, and now you're not talking to me for some reason. And there's this, there's this struggle, there's this yelling, and there's this back and forth. And, and we tend to cower away from being angry with God, don't we? But how many times have you been angry with God and just not told Him because you thought you could keep it from Him? See, that's the struggle. God knows everything. It's just about being in a deep enough relationship with Him that it just flows. The conversation flows. The talk flows. May we keep hoping for this out-of-body experience where God gives us some great knowledge or there's this mist that comes over us or there's a tree that falls when we're walking by and we think, hey, that's God. God's with me. You like my shirt? I really like this shirt. It's, the, it's, it's about the right color. It's not too dark a blue. It's not too light a blue. It's really comfortable. It's got these cool little pockets. It's got four on each side. I'm an old, I'm old enough guy to really appreciate good pockets, right? It's got two neat pockets. They're Velcroed. They're not where I got to button them and, and lift them. It's got this weird little thing right here. It's, it's Velcro. I don't have a clue what it's for. Every time I put it on, I've got two of these shirts like this. Every time I put it on, I go to my office and say, Hun, what do you think this is for? I appreciate it. It's neat. I can play with it. I don't know what it's for, though, right? And then on, on this side, it's got this little bungee thing. The other day, we were out walking around. And I was wearing this. It started raining, and my wife had uh, an umbrella. She said, you want the umbrella? And I looked at my shirt, and the water was just wicking off of it. And I was like, no, I don't. I've got a waterproof shirt. <laughs> you know why this stuff doesn't make any sense to me? Do you know what kind of shirt this is? It's a fisherman's shirt. It's vented in the back to keep you cool. It's got all these little gadgets for holding stuff. Maybe for your sunglasses, Charles, like you were saying. But some of these features are just a, a mystery to me. And I'm assuming that if you fish for a living, is there any fishermen in here? Good, I don't look too stupid then. I'm sure for fishermen, they know, well, you put this on here, and this little pocket's for this, you can put this. It's got holes here so water drains out. I'm sure it's advantageous for the fisher person, man or woman, but it's not really advantageous for the fish. You know why? Because the fish doesn't care what I wear. The fish doesn't know if it's blue. It doesn't know if it's got pockets. It doesn't know if it flicks off the rain so I don't get wet. There's a time not too long ago when I was a regular, regular fisherman. I fished on a regular basis. It was like golf. I did it because I enjoyed doing it, not because I was good at it. I did it because of the company and the people I was with. I didn't go to catch fish. I don't even like to eat fish, to be honest with you. 
I went because I enjoyed the people I was with. The guys I'd go with, they'd tell me what time to get up and tell me what time to be there. And generally, it was well before daylight. And that was strike number two for fishing for me. We'd go out and we'd get on the boat and we'd, we'd howl down the lake and it'd be so cold I couldn't feel my face. And I'd be like, why am I not in bed? And we'd reach our appointed location where we had to get before the sun came up. And we'd start, and as soon as we got there, I would be told where to stand in the boat. Somebody would give me a rod and they would, throw, they would have a bait on already. They'd show me where to cast it. And you know what? Seven times out of ten, I caught a fish. I caught quite a few fish. I still remember the biggest fish I ever caught. It was one of those mornings, it was so cold. And we got this one place, this big bluff, and on, I believe we were on Percy Priest, and the sun was starting to come up, but the, the guy that I was with kept moving into the, into the shade, and I was like, it's getting cold. Why do you keep moving into the shade? He said, though, if we get, get out of the shade, the fish run too deep. He told me where to cast. I cast it there, and I caught the biggest fish I've ever caught. It was huge. It was easily 20 pounds. I'm kidding. It was like, it was like three or four pounds, but it was big, right? It was huge, and I fought with it, and I got it in the boat, and he took it off the hook, and he gave it to me, and he had me stand there, and there's a picture of it, I promise, and I was standing there, and I was holding it, and then he said, okay, throw it back in the water, and I was like, wait, what? No, I won that battle. I caught that fish. I got that fish in the boat. This fish is mine. It's going home with me, but that morning, I learned about a little thing called a gap rule or something like that, where there's certain fish that you catch them, they either have to be shorter than this or longer than this, and if they're in between that, they have to go back in the water. And guess what? Most of them are in between that. And so I threw the biggest fish I'd ever caught right back into the water. You know what? That fish didn't care if I knew how to drive the boat or whether I liked how cold it was. It didn't care anything about that. You know what it cared about? That I threw a lure out there in front of it that looked like food. You know what it did? It ate it. And it got to come in the boat for a little while. Sometimes I really think we misunderstand what prayer is all about. Like we feel like we have to know and we have to understand and we have to have some great knowledge about God and some great knowledge about how the universe works before we can stop and say, hey, God, I need some help. Maybe we're worried about what we should or shouldn't say. Should I sit? Should I kneel? I'm not going to get down, but should I kneel? Should I stand? Should I have my eyes wide open looking up to heaven or should I have them closed so I'm not... You know, we're teaching our boys to pray over meals right now, and the hardest thing is we close our eyes and they don't, and so it turns into sometimes not what it needs to be, right? What do I do with my hands? Do I do this? Do I do this? Do I sit on them? Because sometimes I make the boys sit on them so they'll actually focus. I love this quote from Max Lacan. He says, Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But the power of prayer is not in Josh. The power of prayer is not in the one who says it. The power of the prayer is the one who hears it. It's just like we talked about last week about doing good. The buffer between us and praying like we ought to, the buffer between us and, and doing the good that we ought to, isn't out here, it's in here. And it becomes a block. And God is so much more interested in us saying something, saying anything, than He is about us saying nothing. 
And I don't think we're new. I don't think this is new to us. It, it, you can read it as we read through the text today. Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine has come on a, has, a, friend of mine on a journey has come to me and have new, no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's locked. Everybody's in bed. I can't get up and can't give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, that's what I love about the NIV, your shameless audacity, he will surely give up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened for you. For of your, for of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I've got a few business ventures going. Got a couple things kind of on the hot plate right now. And every time I turn around, somebody's trying to sell me something. You know what they're trying to sell me? A shortcut to success. They're trying to sell me the blueprint that they made to get successful. And you know what the best piece of advice I've ever gotten from somebody? I got it from my financial advisor when I first got into real estate. And he said, stay and do the work. It's going to be hard. It's going to be worth it. Stay and do the work. I often wonder what those around Jesus were thinking. Why does he pray so much? There he goes praying again. Jesus, the place is falling down around us and you're asleep. What's going on? So they say, hey, maybe we should learn too. And so they say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. I want to think they were looking for a shortcut. They were looking for the right sauce that they wanted in order to get what they wanted immediately. And I think there's two, whatever word you want to give it, mentalities, there's two theologies that we have whenever we approach God in prayer. And I think they're pretty prevalent. I think the first one is what I would call a vending machine theology. And this one's obvious, right? We put in the correct amount of money. We walk up to a machine. We see that it's on. We put in the correct amount of money. And we get out what we want because it's already preloaded with our favorite things inside of it. And it's just a matter of putting in the correct amount of change and punching the correct amount of buttons to get what we want out of it. And I think we approach God this way sometimes. If we give him the right number of prayers, or if we give him the right amount of money, or if we give him the right amount of service, he, he has to give us what we want. And so we scurry around using that trial and error method, right? Determining what the thresholds are, and then constantly adjusting until we crack the God code. We crack the, the prayer code, and the, the vending machine begins to give us what we want. But then all of a sudden something happens and it doesn't quite work out that, right, that way, right? 
Have you ever seen somebody get mad at a vending machine because it won't give them what they want? Does that vending machine have any control over that? Kind of like people getting, people getting upset at inanimate objects. Does it make any sense? So we build this, this theology of how God answers prayers on a faulty logic, and then God doesn't play into your game, and you get mad because God doesn't play your game. God gets the full blame because he didn't keep up his end of the garment, end of the bargain. And then we've got the, the other end of the spectrum. Right? We've got the, the vending, she, vending machine theology. Then we've got this lifeboat approach to prayer. I saw these growing up and I never quite understood them. Used to be those little packets of instant coffee. You'd see these things hanging on the wall where it said break glass in case of emergency. We like to keep God in a little frame on our, on our wall, don't we? We find ourselves in this day and age, and I don't like to say that because I think it puts too much emphasis on what's going on out there, not much emphasis on how we can change it. But we find ourselves in a time where self-reliance is perhaps the most important thing a man can or do be. is self-reliant, a self-made man. The book I talked about last week, Outliers, speaks so much to the fact that nobody's a self-made anything. You're a product of a whole lot of things. But in our story, I, we becomes the operative narrative. I must achieve. I must survive. I must win. Because I don't want to give anybody else credit, right? For my accomplishments. We want that really good. I went to a funeral this week and uh, heard talking about all the good things this person had done and all the good things this person had built throughout their life. We want a good story for the preacher to tell at our funeral, don't we? About how we rose from rags to riches and we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. Which is a lie. We try every avenue. We try every last option. And when we get to the end of the rope, what do we do? We start looking for that lifeboat to jump into. The God lifeboat. We break that in case of emergency frame. And the demise at the end of this road is even worse than the demise at the end of the vending machine theology. Because you know what we do when God doesn't come through? We accuse God of what? Of not caring. We accuse God of not being loving. When we called him in to use a baseball metaphor in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and the bases loaded. And we still didn't get it done. We accuse God of being callous and we accuse God of being distant. You want to know a secret? (laughs) There's no secret. There's no special sauce. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Here it is. Be respectful. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Know that everything comes from God. God, give us our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses. Help us with temptation. Then I'm kicking the last one in there. Do it. Just do it. Just pray. None of this. Hey, God, I have uh, given my 10 hours of prayer. I've given my 10 hours of service. I've given $10,000. My behind has been in the seat every time the doors have been open. You have no options but to give me what I want. Jesus goes on. Suppose you got a friend, he comes to your house and he knocks on your door and he says, give me some bread because I need it. 
And the guy inside says, everybody, hey, go away. And in that day and time, you know, we go back and study the sociology and all that. Day and time, everybody slept in the same bed. There were small kids. There were generations of people. Everybody was in bed. If he got out of bed, everybody got up. It wasn't a good time. And the guy goes, or Jesus, the guy, Jesus says, he'll do it because you asked. Not because you're his friend. He may not be your friend anymore after this. But because you asked, and he launched into a very familiar passage to us. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. I'm not going to do a lesson on Greek verbs here, but what do you get if you don't ask, you don't seek, and you don't knock? What do you get? Nothing. You don't get it, right? You don't get anything. What do you get if you do ask, and what do you get if you do seek, and what do you get if you do knock? You get what you need and so much more. And Jesus wanders into fish and eggs and snakes and scorpions. And the resounding theme is God knows what you need. Now that's different than God knowing what you want, right? Because he knows what you want too. That's just not as important as knowing what you need. And Jesus says, ask him. Do it. Just pray already. I love this. Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, not in the one who says it. At the end of the day, prayer is relational. It's not a checklist thing that we check off and we do because we have to. Prayer is relational. Does God need for us to pray to Him so that He knows what we need? And the whole church said, No, God does not need us to pray to Him. We need prayer to pray to God. We need that part of the relationship. Prayer is understanding who you are, who you are, and who I am in this world. Understanding our place and understanding our role. Prayer is understanding about, if you've heard this song before, truth be told, this is a powerful song by Matthew West. Where he says, we go about in life and we say, hey, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, hey, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then he gets into that verse and says, but I'm not, I'm broken. And guess what? God knows that already. God knows that. And that doesn't stop God from hearing our prayers. That doesn't stop God from answering our prayers. Prayer is about us understanding that we need God. And that's a hard pill for some of us to swallow. That's a hard pill for me to swallow. Because it's an admission on my part that I'm broken, that I can't handle everything on my own, or I can't handle anything on my own, and that I need God. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.